Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. Hey everyone, before we get started with today's podcast, I wanted to mention that I'm offering one-to-one emotional sobriety coaching sessions. You can book one-off sessions with me or get bundles of coaching that also include access to the Thrive Sober community. All coaching is to be booked by application as I only have so many places to offer and I really want to work with people who are deadly serious about getting and staying successfully sober. Head over to sassysobermum.com slash coaching to find out more information and submit your interest. Okay, let's dive into the podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today I've got Katie who's almost six months sober um, and she's from Chelmsford in Essex and it's a special guest for me because Katie is one of my Thrive members and she has been thriving the last few months and it's we were just saying just before we clicked record that it's amazing that it's nearly six months because it just feels like and I'm sure it's not necessarily the case for you but it just feels like that time has gone by so fast and you've grown so much and um yeah I'm just really happy to have you on the show to share your story so thank you for joining me. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, six months, well, nearly six months next weekend. Um, it's just mad how quickly that time has gone, really. I know, yeah. yeah. And I was saying that um, I felt like six months was a special period. It just felt like a nice sort of chunky milestone, a big milestone. And it was a nice period of reflection for me. And I think that's true for many people when they get to six months. It's like the six months and the year and, you know, all of that. It's just a lovely time to look over all of the changes and the growth and how much, you know, you develop as a person and how all of those firsts in the beginning, and one of them for you was Christmas, because you were in the group at Christmas time. And I remember how scary and understandably frightening that was for you. And obviously, we did some coaching through that with you and the group. And it's just that you've got so many of those moments now that you can tick off your, you know, weekend away with your friends and you're uh, getting through Christmas and just all those sorts of things. I just think it's lovely to be able to do that. Um, so, yeah, massive congratulations on Thank you. six months. Yeah, so, very proud. <laughs> so why don't we um, get to know you a little bit? Why don't you tell us a bit about who Katie is? So yes, so I am 33. Um, I'm a mental health nurse. I live with my partner, John. I've been with him, I think it's nine years this year. And we have a little dog called Chip, who is a rescue. And I think over the last six months, I definitely have changed. I think um, like what I kind of used to really enjoy doing is a lot different to now. So 
like this time last year, my weekends revolved around alcohol completely. So every weekend would have some element of going out, drinking, eating. And now it's completely different. I have really wholesome weekends and I don't feel exhausted all the time. I think obviously the first few months were quite difficult for me, like in regards to kind of feeling really tired but over the last, I would say, like, last month or so, that's definitely improved. That's so great. That's something that comes up a lot, actually, doesn't it? That initial fatigue and just feeling so tired. A lot of people talk about that. So that's quite interesting. For me, it was a few weeks that I felt that real tiredness. But everyone is different, right? And so for you, it, it was a good few months, like maybe three yeah. months. That's, people will probably take a lot of comfort from hearing that. Yeah, and I, I went to the GP recently, actually, because I kind of was just like, why am I so tired all the time? Like, it had been months, and I was just like, is this still related to kind of giving up alcohol? Um, I did a blood test, and they said that I was quite anemic. So, actually, oh, no. there was different reasons for that. So, I'm going to start on iron supplements as well. Oh, that's interesting. So, if we were to go back, where did your story with drinking start? Let's, let's go through that. Yeah. So listening to this podcast, and I've listened to everyone now, it's, uh, so my drinking started at the age of 14, the same as so many other people. So me and my friends would go down the park, we would um, take like a water bottle and we would fill it from the alcohol cupboard in our parents with little bits of everything. So we used to call it a shit mix. And that was the name for it. And we would then top up the alcohol bottles with water. So me and my friends used to meet down the park. We would drink Lambrini. We would drink little bottles of vodka. And so that started at the age of 14. Um, when we was around 16, there used to be this uh, ice skating party on a Friday night. So a lot of us used to go there. And I remember at the age of 16, one of my friends got her stomach pumped because she was so drunk at the age of 16. Gosh. And at the time, none of us thought that that was alarming. That was quite funny, actually. Like, how, like, how have you got that drunk? Um, and it all kind of started from there. My sister is five years older than me. So when I was about 14, 15, she was a holiday rep for three years. And I used to really look up to her and she would come back after six months and her whole job was an 1830s rep was to get other people really drunk and she literally was drunk the whole time and I kind of always thought oh I'd love to do that job that sounds so much fun but I just never really had the same confidence as she did my parents used to drink um my like my mum and dad's house was always kind of like they'd often throw parties we'd always have barbecues in the summer so I kind of grew up around alcohol so it wasn't really unusual to see drunk people growing up and then kind of obviously I went to uni when I was 19 and the whole point of like freshers week is to get absolutely annihilated is to get really drunk because you can't possibly meet friends without being drunk I remember going to like the union bar and it was five pound entry and then one penny drinks all night and that was the whole point of freshers week is just to get absolutely smashed so during like uni, I would say that my alcohol intake was the same as like the people that I lived with throughout the three years, really. I didn't drink by myself. I only drank when we went out. 
and I drank the same as everyone else. Um, a lot of people used to get blackout drunk. So when I did occasionally, it was kind of normal. It was like class is funny. When I qualified, I was 22 um, and I moved back to Chelmsford, back to my mum and dad's. And I got my first job. So my first job was a mental health nurse in a prison in London. So I was only 22. So I started there. It was in a male prison and it was terrifying, as you can imagine. I remember my dad, when I told my dad, he was just like, you can do whatever you want, but I do not want to hear any stories. <laughs> and I think I my eyes were opened Um it was a lot. It was a lot of pressure. It was, I learned a hell of a lot. I saw things that I didn't even think were like possible. So it was quite a lot to kind of take on, I think. At that time, I was living at my parents, so I was commuting. And then after about nine months, I'd heard through the grapevine that one of the girl that I worked with, she was looking for a flatmate. So I moved in with her. It was only about five minutes from the prison. And during that time, again, my outlet, I would binge drink at the weekends and but I didn't really drink during the week because I was at work and I was just so busy. I worked a lot of overtime because I had to pay for rent in London. And then after about a year, I met John. He was a prison officer at the prison. Uh, we got together. We spent a lot of time around his dad's. And I remember we, even though like, I, I do come across quite confident, I've always um kind of struggled with self-confidence I think and kind of like self-esteem so when me and John first got together he was quite quiet as well it was like we relied on alcohol to bring each other out so we didn't really like it was like the conversation didn't flow until we were drunk yeah. and I remember kind of saying to my friend like he drinks every time I go round, and that wasn't normal to me even though he'd only have a few ciders but I always remember kind of thinking god he does drink a lot and because he drank a lot, I drank a lot. So mm. because he was drinking, I drank. And after a few years, my flatmate moved out and John moved in with me. Um, I changed jobs. I'd gone to a crisis team and we had to do early or late or long days. And again, I was working a lot of overtime. So I didn't really, I would binge drink, but probably only once or twice a week. Mm. And then in 2018, um, January 2018, me and John moved back in with my parents because we wanted to save for a mortgage. So we both left our jobs in London. I got a local job. John started working nights. And after a few months, I didn't really drink a lot at my parents because my my mum would drink during the week, but she would have like a glass of wine in the bath or something. Like when she went to the bath, my dad really didn't drink a huge amount, but he would binge drinks. So when he did drink, he would get drunk. And after a few months, it was Easter actually. Um, and so my dad is diabetic. He's not a very good diabetic. He smoked about 40 a day then. And as I said, he would binge drink. His diet wasn't great. And he, it was a weird story, but he trod on a nail in the garden and the wound got infected and he ended up getting sepsis and he was in hospital for a long time. They did, they tried loads of things for him to kind of try and keep his leg. He came out of hospital. They tried to save the leg, but unfortunately he had to go back in and have it amputated. So at that point, John was on nights, my dad was in hospital and me and my mum drunk. We drank every time we got out of the hospital, every evening. That is how we coped with it. Because obviously it was a huge change. My dad's like a bit of a lad's lad. And we knew that it would really, really affect him losing his leg. 
So, yeah, as I say, we would all drink. My sister would come round. We would drink. Um, and on the night of the amputation, we were, um, we had actually booked coincidentally on the same day, me and my sister and our partners to go away for the night. And we kind of said, look, we won't go. Obviously you're having your leg amputated that day. And my dad was like, no, please go. Like, I don't want you to be sitting in hospital or anything. So we went and the operation went fine, but he had kidney failure and went into intensive care. And I remember my mum obviously was alone in the hospital because she thought everything would be fine. And we were all so drunk about an hour away and couldn't come home. And I literally just, it, it was the worst night because I cried the whole time. I was so drunk. I was so like confused by, I couldn't remember what had happened. And I kept kind of asking John over and over again what had happened. It was just a horrible experience. So that happened. My dad came out of hospital. He didn't touch alcohol. He completely gave up smoking. So he went from 40 a day to absolutely nothing. He had a prosthetic leg and he kind of went back to work and everything was fine. And then in January 2019, we found our house. So we'd been there just over a year. We moved in in March. And I think that's where my alcohol really kind of took a hit, I think. The first few weeks I had off work, it was spring. It was exciting. We had our own house. We were decorating and I was drinking every single day. And with me, I don't like I never used to drink cider or anything. I used to drink wine or spirits. And I would be starting at two o'clock in the afternoon. So but it was like, oh no, the excuse is like, oh, we, like we're in our new house. This is really exciting. Let's just get really drunk. So we spent like a good few weeks just being absolutely wasted every day. Then I went back to work and I think my kind of, I would drink every weekend and then maybe once in the week. So it was always at home, unless obviously at the weekend we were out. And at that time, I felt really, really down. I remember speaking to the GP and I kind of said, I, like, I've got everything that I ever wanted. Like, why do I feel like so miserable and like tearful all the time? And I think obviously looking back, it was definitely to do with the alcohol. And I wasn't truthful with the GP. Like, how much do you drink? Oh, like, yeah, not that much at all kind of thing. Mm. And they prescribed me the um, antidepressants. So I started on the antidepressants. And obviously they didn't have a chance to work because the alcohol. So, yeah, it was just kind of like a vicious circle, I think. So the drinking was obviously getting worse. And during this time, I kind of like experimented with like recreational drugs, which were just soul destroying for me. I would have weeks of feeling absolutely awful and then do it again and mm -hmm. just kind of never really learn from that because I was always wanted that high and didn't mm -hmm. remember the aftermath of it. And then obviously COVID happened. So at the time I was working in the community, we were working from home like three times a week and then my drinking just ex escalated. So I was drinking every weekend. I was drinking probably three to four times a week indoors by myself. John was at work. I'd be drinking like two bottles of wine a night if and also vodka or gin. Um, John would kind of come home at like five o'clock and I or like six o'clock and I'd be half cut because I've already drunk a bottle of wine. I like hid bottles of wine from him. He would drink again. John's like he, he is a big drinker, but he can just have a few ciders and that like and be done with it. Whereas mm -hmm. I'm all or nothing. Um, mm -hmm. I've always been like that. All or nothing would drink. So I started to kind of like hide bottles of wine. I remember like 
every other week, obviously you have to put out the green box and I'd be physically like, oh God, how embarrassing. Like it's literally overfilling. And then looking at other, like looking at my neighbours being like, oh my God, how boring are they? They're not drinking during lockdown. Um, what are they doing with their time? So that was that really. We got, a, and at that point we got a dog. I thought that would cheer me up. That would give me some something to do. Um, so we got Chip and uh, yeah, absolutely love him. And then in Jan- November, sorry, 2021, I went to the GP and they told me that I had high cholesterol. I'd had a blood test, high cholesterol. Again, he kind of said, like, are you drinking much? I'm like, no, not a huge amount, no more than anyone else. Completely lied. And as I walked out, no, they have the blood pressure machines in the GP surgery. Mm. I was just, oh, I just quickly tried that. So I put my arm in and they give you the, like the little printed ticket and it says to give the ticket to the receptionist. And my blood pressure was through the roof. It was so high. I think it was like 190 over 110 or something. And I gave it to the lady and I literally ran out the door because I didn't because I knew it was high and I didn't want her to say, oh excuse me, that's really high. And then before I got to the door, she was like, excuse me, one minute, you can't go anywhere, you need to see the doctor. Your blood pressure is really high. And I saw the doctor again. He bear in mind, I'm only 32 at this point. He just told me I had high cholesterol. Now I've got high blood pressure. I knew I was drinking too much and I just exploded. Everything came out. I told him about the drink and like the drugs and everything like that. He referred me to um, drug and alcohol services. And then the next month, obviously that was Christmas. We'd all planned to go to my mum's for a big family Christmas that we all always do. But obviously COVID before that had kind of cancelled that. So me and my mum always every year we go somewhere new to go to Christmas markets. So that year we went to York. And I remember on the Saturday, again drinking a huge amount, we went on a ghost walk or something. And I remember decantering a bottle of red wine into a water bottle to take around the ghost walk and kind of saying to my mum, Do you want do you want a bottle? Like she was just like, no like like, what's wrong with you we're going on a ghost walk and everyone else was obviously sober as you would be I had to like slope off like an alleyway to go down like to go to the toilet drink like sipping red wine out of a water bottle and I just didn't even think I knew deep down that was a problem but I just didn't want to admit it to myself at this point Mm -hmm. and I think because obviously I'd been to the GP I'd admitted to the GP I was like right let's get Christmas out of the way go big at Christmas and then you can start again in January so that was that so then I ended up actually getting COVID so Christmas was completely cancelled my mum got COVID we got it from that weekend away actually and then on Boxing Day I went to my mum and dad's I was um, negative for COVID got drunk um the day after boxing day I was laying on the sofa and I kept saying to John like it feels like someone is sitting like an elephant is sitting on my sternum like it was so uncomfortable and I'd never had it before and this went on for about 24 hours but in the end it was unbearable pain like, I couldn't even turn around I couldn't sleep and I had no idea what it was so I rung 111 and they said to go to A&E so I was in A&E for about 12 hours at first they said it was gastroenteritis and then after about 12 hours, they said it was something to do with my pancreas. And they kind of said, do you drink? And I was just like, yes, I do. I'm drinking way too much. And they kept me in. I was on morphine, um, everything. It was just awful. And the doctor came in like the next day. I was in for about five nights over New Year's. I had I was pos- positive for COVID at the time. So I was on a COVID ward, couldn't have any visitors. 
And the doctor came in and said, if you continue to drink, you will die. Like, you will, this will kill you. And you also can't eat curry. And I was like, oh, God, okay. And at the time, I was just like, my life is over. What am I going to do? How can I never drink again? That is absolutely crazy. Um, can't I just kind of moderate? Like, it just oh, just went through all of this thing. But there was there was no support. I was discharged, and that was it. So I hadn't heard from the drug or alcohol service. I was discharged with no follow-up in regards to the alcohol use. So I did stop. I stopped for six or three days. Um, and then I'd spoken to people. I'd joined online pancreatitis groups and thought, do you know what? I'm not as bad as these people. These people were still in constant pain. I hadn't had any pain since I left hospital. These people were drinking from morning to night. Um, and the more I read up on it, I kind of convinced myself, do you know what? I think it was just a little bit of a flare up. I think it was just my body warning me. It wasn't a full blown acute pancreatitis. Like as long as you can moderate and don't drink heavily again, you'll be fine. Mm. So lo and behold, I started again. Um, and it, it just increased and increased and increased. And then September the 10th, so sorry, I'm getting there. September the 10th, I went out for brunch with my friends in London, Unlimited, Prosecco um, Brunch. On the Sunday, I woke up and it was a good night, I think. I can't really remember getting high. I'm sure I had an argument with one of the girls on the train on the way home. But it's never been mentioned since and we've spoken and we've been fine. And all of my friends in the group chat were like, oh my God, I feel like death. Like I can't drink now for months. And I was like, I feel like this most weekends, that's odd, isn't it? Like these, like all of my friends are like, this is really horrible. Like I can't drink again for ages. And I was just like, this is really normal to me. This is just a normal Sunday, wasted in bed. So that was on the Sunday. And then I think it was the Tuesday, Terry, I had off work and I listened to your podcast with Dawn. Yeah. And she spoke about AA and she mm. can't, it really worked for her. And I was like, do you know what? I'm going to do it. So I rung a, like, a local AA and they'd had a group on the Monday. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to go. That was on the Queen's funeral. So I was like, I'm going to go on Monday. And I, just, and I did feel different. I was like, this is it. I need to give up drinking. Went into work and just told this girl um, that I shared an office with and she didn't really drink heavy and she was a lot younger and she never drank. And she was just like, I just, I don't know why, like you, like people feel the need to, I still have fun. And I was just like, I, I criticise people like you. I would think people like you were boring. I know one of those people that I just felt so uncomfortable by people that didn't drink. I would just mm. automatically call them boring and just thought, Oh my God, imagine that. How do they have fun? And yeah, so I was booked to go to AA. On Monday morning, <coughs> sorry, I woke up and I was just, oh, no, I can't go to AA. And I said to John, I'm going to do this by myself. If I struggle at any point to, like, as in I'm going to pick up a drink, I will go to AA. So that was the pact that I made with him. And then that was it. And then I haven't drunk since. So, yeah, so 10th of September was my last drink. <laughs> wow. What a... It's a fascinating story, to be honest, because when you spoke about being 14 and making the shit mix, I did the same thing, but I didn't know it was called that, uh, and going to the park and then just hearing how it very slowly kind of progressed for you and all the different twists and turns 
you know, the getting the job, you know, that's a big job to get at 22, going into a male prison in London. Oh my God, I can't. I think I would struggle with that now at 45. Like I can't imagine how much, how much you must've been really kind of maybe out of your depth or, you know, out of your comfort zone with that, but then all the other things and yeah, it's just a, it's a fascinating story, but also you've got that health aspect as well, which some people don't, you know, don't get to that stage. And that must've been quite frightening to have been in your early thirties. And we have had people on the podcast that have had similar things, but had been in your early thirties and then suddenly the alcohol is, 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 is really impacting your health. And yeah, that must be quite hard to, to deal with. That must be hard to deal with because like you say, hearing you can never drink again in, in your early thirties of course, your immediate reaction would be, well, that's what, what is there to live for in yeah. life, you know? And I say this a lot on this podcast and, you know, and, and in our group that actually alcohol does a very, very, very good job of fixing our problems and fixing our insecurities. And, you know, even the the story about you and your partner having that shyness you know alcohol fixes a lot of shyness a lot of people start drinking because of that you know it doesn't have to be oh I had this really traumatic childhood it can be I'm just a bit shy in social situations that's a really common reason why people begin to rely on alcohol so you know your story is so relatable and and it's just fascinating for me obviously I I I know you quite well now but it's fascinating to get all of the detail and to also see how progressive it was, but also that it's kind of, it's weird because it's sort of like, it's slow, that progression, but it's also mm. very quick as well in the, yeah, it's just, yeah, definitely. And I think because I, I kind of look back and I was, I was once what's a normal drinker, but I don't want to say that, but I was one, I did once upon a time drink the same amount as my friends. And then it kind of got to a point and I think, like my friends, I was always the pisshead in my group, a hundred percent. I was the one that drunk the most. I was the one that did shit that I shouldn't have done and got into trouble. And yeah. And that was kind of like my role, I think within the group. Um, and I took that with pride at the time. And I just look back and I'll see, I'm glad that as I'm, as I'm getting older, that that is changing and that that won't always be me. Yeah. And I'm really, I'm really looking forward to talking about how sobriety has changed things and changed your relationships. That's something that we'll come on to. Um, but talking about, so that when you decided to stop and you made this pact for yourself um, about the AA thing, what things did you do to support yourself, particularly in the very beginning and in that first hundred days? podcasts I think I literally listened to every single one of your podcasts I downloaded um Ankar's Audible and I yeah I listened to that I think within about four days I've listened to so many books and so many podcasts I've just drowned myself in education that was what helped me and I know that you've said before even if you had 10 minutes you'd listen to a podcast that's exactly what I was like I, and I still am like I will drive to work and I'll have it in my car mm. and 
yes of just education and what worked really well for me is kind of like how the alcohol affects your body how it affects your brain and the statistics of the cancer and everything like that it just really helped because you don't you don't learn this stuff Mm. so I'm very much I'm a mental health nurse and I've seen a lot of um like the effect of substances but I don't I didn't really learn I didn't know any of these I think I was a bit I don't know a bit naive to it but the actual effect that it has on you that really helped because the more I educated myself the more I was just like why the hell would I ever choose to Mm. do that yeah like I deserve better than that why should I put that in my body knowing and I kind of brainwashed myself because it kind of got to the point where I was just like why yeah I just shouldn't do that anymore yeah I think a lot of people feel like that I I feel exactly the same as well now when I look back I you know I'm not trying to be preachy or and I'm not judgmental of other people drinking at all but I look at alcohol now and I just I'm amazed that I drank so much of it Mm. for so long because it's so damaging and I feel bad for myself in some way like obviously now I feel great because I'm not doing it and I do genuinely believe that almost all alcohol related health issues can be reversed apart from obviously we know that cirrhosis which is the sort of end stage liver damage that cannot be reversed but everything up until that point which is a lot can be fixed by just stopping drinking yeah I find that blows my mind and I'm really curious about that in the world of mental health as well because I still think and you I'm I'm interested in your opinions on this I, I personally feel like there's so much work to do around the education of if you have issues with mental health drinking is just so bad for you and that there needs to be that education around why what it's doing how it impacts the brain and that's probably a good uh, a big reason why you're so into it is because you've obviously got some of that medical Mm. training and that's that's your world but I just feel like there's a lot of work to do there because I I know that I I've got my own friends that have issues with mental health or maybe they take um antidepressant tablets and yet they still drink and it's again it's not pointing the finger it's not judging it's just such Mm. a lack of awareness isn't it yeah and I think so like for me personally so obviously as I said like my blood pressure was through the roof my cholesterol was really high I started on antidepressants I had um pancreatitis when I was in hospital so they're like huge things and there's only 32 so that was and scary and since giving up alcohol I've recently had a blood test my pancreas is fine my cholesterol has come right down it's wow. within normal ranges now Amazing. my blood pressure I'm on blood pressure medication and but my blood pressure is fine so I'm, I'm hoping that I won't because I've heard obviously once you're on blood pressure medication that's it for life but I would like to kind of one day like reduce them and stop yeah. in regards to my antidepressants so I was I was on 20 initially and then, so I was on Talipram, and through COVID, again, when I was drinking huge amounts and didn't realise that my mood was even worse, as so many people's was during COVID, mm. it was increased to 30. And over the past six months, I have reduced that through speaking with my GP, and I'm currently on 10 milligrams and looking oh. to stop that in the next few months. Oh, that's amazing. 
and just those things that's what's improved over the last six months god and just those things like that's massive isn't it yeah it's like it's such I mean that I mean obviously we'll 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 talk about the way that you feel and the changes that you've that you feel inside but those things in isolation are huge achievements yeah definitely yeah and it just it just it's scary it's just because I think I don't yeah I I wasn't clinically depressed but it was like it was everything going around it was the alcohol and I think if I continued to drink I would I would feel reliant on those antidepressants Mm. Mm. And that's just such a shame because actually it was the alcohol that was making me so down. Mm. And I can see that now. Like how many people must be in that situation because it is a depressant. Of course you're going to feel depressed. Mm. Yeah. That's what it's meant to do. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, exactly. And also I think people that suffer from anxiety, anxiety is a big one, Mm. isn't it? There's There's a lot of people that have anxiety and do not realize that alcohol is exacerbating that anxiety because alcohol creates a lot more cortisol in the brain and cortisol is a stress hormone. And so you're sort of flooding your system with all this extra stress hormone, which is then fueling more anxiety it's just it's such a but again just like you said and and I'm always banging on about this on this podcast it's a shame because actually there just there isn't a lot of information out there and it's only when you if and when you get to the point where you want to assess your alcohol use or you want to try and tackle you know, stopping drinking, which is a which is a big decision to make. And it's a decision that I think a lot of people put off for longer than they should, or they don't even get there because yeah. it's too frightening, the thought of living without alcohol. Like, how do you function? How do you survive? And I just, I worry that because there isn't that information out there, that those people aren't making that decision. But it's only when you do get to the point where you cross the line, you say, right, that's it, I want to do something, that you then delve into all this information that is available, but it's kind of tucked away, yeah, tucked away in this world of sobriety. And then you just suddenly realize, oh, my God, the impact of alcohol to my my body, my brain, my nervous system, to my life, to my relationships, to how I feel every day. It's so significant and it's just yeah. it's just a shame, isn't it, that that is not more widely shared or widely known. But, you know, hopefully yeah, that will change. Hopefully that And will. I remember at the beginning, like, being really angry that, like, all the marketing and everything that they get away with with alcohol. Mm. And I just was, like, so oblivious to it and just kind of, like, because that's normal. And then actually when like you're giving up drinking and you realize all these things, you're like, how do they get away with this? Mm, yeah, it's like, funny. It flips around. Yeah, it sort of flips a switch, doesn't it, on your on your perspective. And you walk into a supermarket. That's always the best example I can think mm. of in the moment, but you walk into a supermarket and you are hit by a wall of whatever the alcohol is, depending on what season we're in, you know, winter, it's all Baileys and red wine and kind of Christmas flavored drinks. 
and spring, it's like wine and flowers and Mother's Day and wine, 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 pink, pink fizz. And summer, it's walls of pims and heights of beer. And it's very clever. Like, to be fair, big alcohol has got very good at selling us booze Mm. and selling us the dream in inverted commas. But it's only when you take the beer goggles off and you do this type of work, like what you've been doing, um, and really questioning alcohol in your life and trying to get away from it, that you just realize it is everywhere. I notice it now in the programs that I watch. I've watched watched recently that Bad Sisters. I really liked that um, series. And um, it was the first series in a long time that I thought, oh, my God, they're really overusing wine. Like they're using Mm. wine in every scene to get together as sisters and (laughs) plot the murder of this horrible brother-in-law and to – yeah commiserate and feel sad and it's just every episode felt like there was that they were all around the kitchen table with the wine and I just I I used to get really annoyed by it I think in the first year of being sober I just I felt I felt kind of cheated in some way I felt I felt angry about it because I felt like it was kind of pushed in my face, but I just wasn't aware of that when I was in it because I found it so validating when I was in it because it told me that it was okay to just keep drinking. And that's the problem, isn't it? When you step away and you see it for what it is, you just realize you're being always constantly sold to and marketed at. And that is just a bit shit, I think, when you realize that. Yeah, definitely. So in terms of the kind of first 100 days or so, what describe what it was like for you. What, what did you have to deal with? So I think, as I said, like something did click this time. And I've always said that. Um, with the first 100 days, I actually had quite a lot of firsts. I had um, John's brother got married. Um, it was my birthday. My dad would come on well. You'll never believe this. So basically, he trod on another nail, the different obviously the good foot. And he was unwell and he was in hospital and they thought he was going to lose his leg. Luckily, and I say luckily, but he only lost a few toes. And I said that and people go, oh my God. But luckily he didn't lose his leg. Mm. So that was all going on. And obviously, last time, how I would handle that was drinking I remember my mum took him to A&E on a Saturday night and she rung me at 10 o'clock at night I wasn't drinking obviously and she went okay I'm gonna take him and I was like okay I'll meet you there and the fact that I could do that on a Saturday night was just unbelievable really and it and I just kept thinking especially during that time that if alcohol would make this 10 times worse and I just kept thinking that if I'd come home from the hospital and was just like oh god like what's going to happen and then drink it would just exacerbate all of my worries and that really kind of like Nate like just like it just clicked something in my brain I was just like this is the right thing to do so I had that and then obviously I think I was about 104 days in and it was Christmas so I had a lot of firsts and I know like Terry we've spoken about it it's like doing things, proving to yourself that you can do it and just getting the evidence and like putting it in your evidence cup of, and it just grows your confidence. So the fact that I went to a wedding and this was, I think, within the first month or so and I didn't know, I hadn't met any of like his brother's friends or anything like that and it was a boozy, um, boozy, boozy wedding. John was drunk 
and I had the best time. I wow. danced and like, and I, I wasn't dreading it at all, but I was a bit apprehensive. Like if you told me that I'd ever go to a wedding sober, like that would be like crazy. I would never have done that. And I had such a good time. And then for my birthday, we went away and we like stayed in a lovely like lodge with a hot tub and John didn't really drink that much. It was lovely. And I just kept thinking like if I was drinking like I would have ruined this I would have pissed him off I would have do you know what I mean like, I like, like I get really opinionated when I'm drunk and I will say things that I think are really funny but other people don't think are funny <laughs> and are actually just really offensive yeah. and the amount of people that like the next day I've woken up and I'm like oh shit I don't want to check my phone like I don't want someone calling me out for my behavior and yeah so it was just None of that within the first hundred days. I'd gone out with friends a few times. I'd gone on a bottomless brunch, which was already booked. I didn't really want to go, but it was already booked, so I said I'd go. And I learned that I probably wouldn't go to a bottomless brunch again, but that was mm-hmm. fine. And within those hundred days, I said no to things that I didn't want to do. I tried new things. I threw myself out there. And it was, yeah, and don't get me wrong, it's tough. And I remember coming home from the bottomless brunch crying to John saying, like, why can't I be normal? Like, that group of girls are going to have so much fun tonight. And then I just thought, you know what, they'll probably be up until 8 a.m. the next morning feeling like absolute death. And I would have been the same. And I just Mm. don't want that. I've done it and I do not want that anymore. Yeah. And that is so powerful, isn't it? The power of reframing the situation or... Um, you know, playing it forward is just you have to constantly check in with yourself. I think with those types of social events, when you do get that initial FOMO, and it is very real that feeling. You do genuinely feel like you're losing something, or that you're missing out, and that you're going to lack. You're just lacking in some way. But but having the ability and patience and clarity to assess what is really fun in those situations like yeah of course to be honest the majority of it is the anticipation for sure it's the build-up it's the lead-up we get huge dopamine hits just thinking about going out and drinking with our friends and but actually the night itself it's what what is it it's an hour if that, mm. like after the first glass or two, you drink them pretty quickly anyway, it just all starts to go slowly downhill. You think you're having a great time, but you're actually just kind of off in your own world, really. Yeah. Trying to overtalk, like, and yeah. talk over and, people. <laughs> and I think, like, because my relationship with alcohol was, like, uh, it just wasn't healthy. And I remember, say, if I was going to be around certain people, and I would feel a little bit awkward. I would remember thinking, right, get drunk really fucking quick. Drink these quick drinks really yes. quick. So then you'll yes. get to that point where yeah. you feel more comfortable. Mm. And I would like pre-drink on nights where I didn't need to pre-drink. Yeah. And just, and I've always drunk quicker, like quickly, always. Yeah, same. And like, like and I'd be looking around and I'd be like, oh my God, they haven't finished their drink yet. Can I order my drink? And it'd be like a constant yeah. commentary in my head. Yeah. And that's kind of, like when I was drinking during COVID and when it got really bad on the days that I wasn't drinking I was thinking about drinking Mm. I was justifying myself I was like literally the first thing I think about right okay you're not drinking today and then throughout the day it would be a constant battle well if you drink tonight then don't drink tomorrow and Mm. just it is exhausting and I just remember thinking and I just kept like saying to John is this it 
is this is this life? And like, he, like mm. I think he would be like, what do you mean? Like, you're not happy? And I'm like, well, just like, what is this? Like, this isn't, I'm not fulfilling anything. Like, this isn't how my life should be. And yeah, it was just, and ultimately it came down to the alcohol, which I can see now. But at the time, alcohol was the thing that was making me happy. As yeah. I thought. Yes, you thought. Yeah, it's just, it brain, like, it just brainwashes you. It's mental. Yeah. Well, it literally does. I mean, it actually yeah. changes your brain. It shuts down the prefrontal cortex, the front bit of the brain that rationalizes and makes good decisions. Mm. <laughs> it's the bit that you need the most mm. in that situation. And yet you can drink so much on a night out, like you binge drink and you have a bottle, a couple of bottles of wine, you can completely shut that bit of your brain down. And so yeah. no wonder you then go on to make, you know, bad choices and and you next minute you're up still at 8 a.m i mean that's yeah yeah that's, good. that horrible that's a horrible oh. place to be but i i really relate to that sort of fast forward mentality and i used to do that and i was doing that more as well towards the, the last couple of years of my drinking i was pre-drinking at home and so you know i'd be on my own getting ready, having a strong cider or a glass or two of Prosecco and just kind of trying to fast forward to that place where I thought in my head I wanted to be, but you never really get to it, mm. do you? I mean, it's it's there is that thing called the two, the two drink high where we don't realize that after two drinks, it's the maximum high we're ever going to achieve. The rest of the night is we're just trying to catch up, hitting yeah. the same high that we did for the first two drinks because you just don't get past that. There is a cap. There is a ceiling on the amount of kind of dopamine, the experience that we can have. And so I look back now at my pre-drinking and I would go out and meet friends that hadn't pre-drunk and they would be looking at having a couple of glasses, maybe three maximum drinks. That would be a lot for them. And I would be two ahead already and I would have three, maybe four, because I would always have one before I left. Like I always, I had this mentality that I had to have a big drink before I went home, before the night was over. And, you know, I'd, I'd order a large glass of like a heavy wine and pr pretty much neck that before I went. So I was always so much higher than than those people yeah. and when I look back now I just think I mean they they're you know they're good friends they love me for who I am they I was just crazy bit crazy Terry you know that that was my identity like you said about yourself but when I look back I do I do really look at those situations now and just think god I must have really been quite disconnected I thought I was fitting in and doing all right and having fun but actually they wouldn't admit it and maybe they didn't they weren't laughing at me but I think that there was probably an element there of just like she's a bit more gone than us and god she's so yeah. crazy she's so bad <laughs> but that's actually it's not nice is it no and I'd love to know what my friends really thought because like they're not I think one of my friends said like that she was a little bit worried about me um that was actually on the night of the brunch. So I don't actually know if that subconsciously as well helped um, kind of like me stopping as well, really. But yeah, so it would be really interesting about what my friends, I'm sure, I'm sure it was one of your podcasts and you said about you went cheese and wine tasting or something yes. and you were to have a glass of wine. And, and I was listening to that and I was like, do you know what? That is exactly the same. And I think I said to John, I was like, 
this lady has said this. And he was like, that is you. That is exactly what you would do. And I was like, isn't it? Isn't that mad? And I think another thing that I've realised is that the things that I would do and I would be like, oh God, you're the only person that does like does these things. Actually, so many other people do. Yeah. So, yeah. And that kind of, like, and that's reassuring in a way. It is. You're not alone. No, never. You're never alone. And I think that is so eye-opening on this journey um, because you can find your story or parts of your story in so many other people's story and it is super validating and very reassuring and it really makes you feel it's inspiring isn't it because it makes you feel like well if they can do it you know I can do it yeah definitely we're just normal people we're just normal people that managed to remove alcohol, managed to learn the tools that we needed to in order to survive the first few months, which is the hardest for sure. Because like you mentioned, the evidence cup, I talk about this a lot in Thrive, but, and I really remember this, and I love this about your stories. I remember just before Christmas, you were a bit anxious about going into Christmas, understandably. And you said to me on one of the live Zooms, um, the one of the Zoom meetings, you said, I'm just going to trust you, Terry, that if I just put some evidence into my cup, it will just make everything feel better and I will just start to feel better in these situations because at the moment I, I'm struggling to see a way through, but I'm just going to take your word for it. <laughs> and I remember thinking in that moment, um, like... I I wasn't nervous about it because I really <laughs> because I believe in it, you know, and I know that it works. But I think for me, it made me realize because Thrive was quite new for me then. It made me realize just how much people are relying on me in this group, and how much I just really hoped that it was the same magic for you because that is exactly what I had experienced. And then now, like sort of fast forward, the last month or six weeks or so, like you are you've moved past that like you you get it now you get that actually I've got enough evidence in my evidence cup now I've done enough things I've ticked enough boxes to believe that I am not gaining anything with alcohol in any of these situations I am actually better without alcohol Mm. and I never thought that was possible and I just I find that just so beautiful that it's so simple you just have to trust that process and just do a few things and just really sit with how uncomfortable it might feel to get through it and get through the other side and just be like okay now I I get it I just get it now yeah I just think that's lovely um so what has been let's talk about the gains for you so obviously I know there's the health um aspect or you know the health side of things which has been phenomenal (laughs) amazing what else have you gained so let's talk about your sort of relationships and things like that and how has it impacted your relationship with your partner now that you're not drinking so we've like we've, he's great like he is literally the best person and he's very very supportive and I think at the beginning and I, even now I say to him like oh do you miss like me being drunk and he was like absolutely not he was just like I wanted you to get sober because the amount of like yeah, the amount of times that I've like, upset our relationship with drinking, 
and I, he is so so supportive and I remember you saying that like your husband's like your biggest cheerleader and that is completely John to me and he like he goes like I like wake up on a Saturday and be like right we're going to do this today and John go okay <laughs> like and it'll be like a stupid crazy plan and not all of the time works out but he just kind of goes with it and we just have so much more open and honest conversations <clears throat> like we're planning a week away in Spain and we were speaking about that yesterday. And then I kind of went a little bit quiet. So I was thinking, Oh my God, like, like how will that be without alcohol? I haven't done a proper abroad holiday without alcohol yet. And I kind of, and usually I'm quite, I don't really talk about my feelings that much. I would just drink them away. Mm. And then I kind of just said it. I was just, I'm a little bit apprehensive. Like what if you're bored? What if it's not going to be the same? Like blah, 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 blah. And he just is so reassuring and just like just that complete honesty and like he'll say to me thanks for that do you know what I mean that's a really adult conversation we've had yeah. we've been together nine years and I and this is the happiest I would say that we have been definitely within those nine years because it's just so authentic like we're spending time with each other at the weekend and neither of us are hungover like we would literally like go hard on a Friday or Saturday night and then we'll sit in separate rooms on the Sunday because both of us would be so hungover that we we just don't want to talk to anyone. We would speak to each other to order what takeaway we want and then we would literally just not see each other. And then on Monday we'd be like, oh God, like back to work. And it's just like, that's not good. Like now we just have lovely, like we're going away this week. We Like next week, sorry, we're going to, and just the time that we spend with each other is just so much nicer because it's not revolved around alcohol or when we can drink next. Yes. Yeah. And what did you do? Um, tell everyone what you did on New Year's Day. That was so nice what you did on New Year's Day. Oh, yeah. So New Year's Day was in Dorset, actually, and we went to Jurassic Coast. We took the dog and we were standing on like a pebble beach and John was just like, we should like throw pebbles into the sea and like show like shout things that we want to leave in 2022. So we were just like throwing all these things like negativity, like stress from work. And it was just a really lovely thing to do. And it's something that he suggested that I would never have thought that he would have come up with. And that was just such like, we, we would never have been at the bloody coast at 8am on New Year's day. That would never have happened. Mm. So it's just all of those things that every time I kind of like think to myself, oh God, like, is this forever? I'm like the guest because why wouldn't it be? Yeah. Great question. I love that. Um, What, um, what would you say just to balance things out? What would you say has been the most difficult thing or what's been your difficult, most difficult challenge? And and then maybe talk about how you navigated it. I think, the FOMO, so the kind of, oh God, like, am I ever going to have fun again? Like that at the very beginning and just kind of like realising that actually what I thought was fun generally wasn't fun. Um, I think other people's kind of reaction as well, I think was quite difficult. It was no that, oh, I didn't actually think you had a problem. Like you're just a bit of a pisshead. And not yeah. like no one, because no, I, no one apart from John really knew actually about my drinking and how bad it was because I would cover it, cover it up. I just wouldn't tell people. People didn't need to know. So it's kind of just like, oh God, like why are you being so dramatic? Like yeah. just have a drink. You can have a drink at Christmas. 
Um, and then people, like I found at the very beginning, people would love to tell you about their drinking. Yeah. Oh, well, like, yeah. <laughs> I think I said this to you before, Terry. Like, oh, no, I'm like, I've given up drinking. Like, I'm just feeling a lot better for it. And they're like, oh, really? Like, I don't have to do that. I only drink every other weekend. And I'm like, I literally didn't ask you, but thanks. <laughs> just other people's opinions on it. Yes. Yeah. It's so funny that I don't think that changes. You know, I'm just about to hit four years um without drinking at all and I still get that same thing when I when I talk to mostly I would say newer people because obviously people that I know very well they know but um yeah I don't know if that goes away it just shines too much of a light on other people's alcohol use and people can't I don't think people people can't they don't feel comfortable I think with that kind of conversation um which is fair enough yeah. right? that's you it know. just makes them feel a little bit awkward doesn't it yeah I think that's what it is and I think that's that's always really good to keep in mind um is that actually when people are responding in a way that doesn't feel comfortable for you when you mm. tell them that you're not drinking it's always an indication of their own drinking and it's never about you. And I know we talk about that a lot, but just for people that are listening, if you're getting some stick almost for not having a drink, you know, I would say pay attention to the people or the person that is making your life difficult and what is their relationship to alcohol Mm. like? And then you can draw some conclusions. It's been such a great chat. Um, I can't believe the hour has gone. It's just flown by. What are your top three tips for people on getting and staying sober? I think throwing yourself into the education, download all the podcasts, download the audibles. Alan Carr really, really helped me. That was the first ever book I read and that really did help. Um, for me personally, like joining the Thrive community has been an absolute lifeline for it's a bit of a plug, but <laughs> it had like just those weekly meetings, getting to know the girls. It's just been so lovely. Like whenever I do feel like I'm having a bit of a wobble, just reaching out and you just get so much support straight away. And it's just been really, really helpful. Um, I think saying no to things in the, like initially if you yes. don't think that you want to be around that, say no, no, like it's fine to say no. You don't have to do everything that you used to do. And that's the thing, I think, just realising that your life will be different, but it will be better. Yeah. And that's fine. And you will need to change a little bit. You can't expect to like completely change your life. Like you have to, sorry, you have to expect to change your lifestyle, mm. but that's a good thing. Because obviously yeah. your lifestyle wasn't working for you. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be so honest with yourself about that. And that's mm. quite difficult. And I think it's nice mm. as well, like you said, just give yourself permission to say no. This came up actually at the weekend. I did one of those um, Ask Me Anything. And there was a couple of questions about people that had events coming up and they were really nervous about them. And uh, I just said, just, just don't go. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't always feel like an option. I think, I do think that many people carry that sort of, that low self-esteem, that lack of confidence, mm-hmm. probably some people pleasing as well. They bring mm-hmm. a lot of that baggage into early sobriety and it's, and it might be the reasons that made you drink that way in the first place. Um, 
And I think sort of turning around and saying, actually, I need to listen to what's right for me and I need to say no to that event, that can be quite difficult at first. But if you can do that and put yourself first, then you do start to grow more strength around Mm -hmm. that and you you start to get more into that boundary setting, which is Mm. quite crucial, I think, in the early days. And just like cravings come and go. So like I will kind of have, I will have a wobble and then I will go for a walk or I will do something. And then within an hour, I've managed to change all of that completely on its head. Yeah. I, yeah. And that's, and I've done that a few times with different things. And like after it, it's like I come out the other side and I'm like, like, okay, it's fine now. I've, I've reflected on that. I have like kind of just given my head a bit of a shake and I feel so much more positive about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? I think that comes down to that whole thing as well, that a lot of the time it's just thoughts. It's just mm. thoughts, but they're just thoughts. Like we don't have to react and we don't have to necessarily believe them either. I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of thoughts that swirl. I heard something the other day, actually. I can't remember the exact number, but it was something crazy like there is a really, really large amount of thoughts that come into our head every day. It might be even in the millions. And yeah. It's just a huge amount of thoughts, but yeah. not all of our thoughts even need listening to. Like yeah. to be able to, like you say, shake it off, go out for a walk, distract yourself, do something else, or just even sit, sit with it and just think, okay, I'm craving mm-hmm. right now. Why might I be craving this thing? What's really going on? Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? Is this just the normal time that I would drink? You know, that there's a lot of conditioning that's in the brain that doesn't, doesn't undo overnight. You know, that can take months and months and months. So I think that's really, really good advice. Um, what would you say to yourself if you could go back now to you on day one? What would you tell yourself to give yourself that kind of courage and yeah, guidance? I suppose to keep yeah. going with the journey. You can do it, believe it or not, Kate. You can do it. <laughs> I think I've always start things and give up, and this is something that I'm not going to give up. So yeah, yeah just you can do it. Take every day as it comes. And it will all work out. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, that's so true, isn't it? You can do it. Anyone can do it. Anyone can mm. do it. We all have the power to change. I really, truly believe that. Uh, so if you're open to it, where can we find you and follow your journey? Yeah, so I am on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram handle is let's underscore get sober. Oh, thank you so much for your honesty and yeah it's been amazing thank you very much Tammy absolute pleasure and thank you everyone else until next time bye thank you so much for listening to this podcast if you're interested in being a guest please contact me directly on Instagram by sending a message to at sassy sober mum You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website, sassysobermum.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.